Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in North Mississippi and back in Bethlehem Church again. It has been a while, I think maybe 20 years or maybe a little more than that. So uh, privileged to be back with you and to be with Pastor V. And I've not yet met his family, so I'm looking forward to that. And some of your faces look familiar. And maybe I'm seeing you again or maybe I'm seeing you for the first time. But I greet you, the body of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name. And I want you to know it's an honor to be with you in ministry today. Amen. I regret that my wife could not be with me. She's not feeling well, so she stayed in Memphis today. But I did bring her picture for all of you to see how beautiful she is. And actually, she is a tremendous minister and also an author. So I brought just two of her books. This is The Awesome Power and Privilege of a Woman's Voice. And we have sold almost 8,000 copies of this. And it's a well-written uh, book that you will love to have. And also, I'm blaming this on COVID. She put out a devotional that goes with the book. And we have a bundle price. And uh, Precious Sister is already helping us out there set the table up. And I'd be glad to meet you there afterwards. And we can make sure that we get this into your hands as it will be a tremendous blessing. And, of course, it will be a blessing to us as well as you help us in our evangelistic endeavors. Thank you for allowing me that. I'd like to direct your attention to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And begin reading at verse 6. Jesus has just told a parable here in the first few verses of chapter 18 about a widow who needs a favorable judgment from an unjust judge. And it's clear that this judge cares nothing for the laws of mankind, nothing for the laws of God, doesn't fear either one. But there's something about this woman who keeps showing up at his courtroom day after day needing a favorable judgment for her family that even though he fears not man nor God she gets her answer her miracle and then Jesus picks up and begins to say in verse 6 and the Lord said hear what the unjust judge saith and shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him though he bear long with them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. There seems to be a great difference between verse 7 and verse 8. His elect are crying in the nighttime, and they're crying in the daytime, and the Lord is doing nothing. He's with them, bearing along with them. But something happens between chapter, verse 7 rather, and verse 8 because then he comes speedily to avenge them. This has been a revelation to me, and I am thrilled to be able to share this with you with my friend Steve Smith and your pastor. I, I want to preach about an all-powerful God looking for faith. We have an all-powerful God, and he's looking for faith. Can I tell you what I believe will happen in the house today? That we have been in a season of giving. And I feel like our Heavenly Father wants to give some things to His elect or His beloved or His children today. This is not a wasted weekday before we get to the new year. 
God wants to do something special in the house. So let's let God be God and love on his children and let our faith receive that in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. We have been full-time in itinerant ministry for 25 years now. And I have observed some things that through the years have been interesting to me. Over the years, we have twice seen the dead resurrected in our ministry. We have literally seen blind eyes open and deaf ears unstopped. God has done tremendous things like eradicating cancers and sicknesses and diseases and gifts of the Spirit have been rampant and mighty and multiplying even as the years have gone by. But as I have observed, it seems to me that at least the majority of some of the greatest miracles that I can tell you about that I have seen and witnessed and been a part of, that it seems like they happen for guests that come among us. <clears throat> or sometimes what we would call new converts or babes in the kingdom. Or sometimes those that we see just once or twice and maybe never see them again. That's interesting to me because when I study the Gospels, I find something very interesting. Miracles, healings, gifts of the Spirit, signs are meant for God's covenant people. That's what he brings to us. It's for us, his children. You see this everywhere in the scripture that before he would begin his miraculous ministry, you see John the Baptist is sent to prepare the people and repentance is preached that they would repent and prepare the way for the miraculous ministry of Christ. So when he comes, they are prepared covenant people. Early in the ministry when Jesus begins to anoint the disciples and he sends them out to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, he said, I want you to do this and go everywhere except the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans because they're an unprepared, uncovenant people. These miracles, these signs, these healings, gifts of the Spirit are for prepared people. They're a covenant people. They're for God's people. Throughout his ministry, I've studied exclusively and found what I believe solidly only two instances where Jesus operated with a miraculous and deliverance for someone outside the covenant children of Israel. Syrophoenician woman and the centurion. Both of these times when these individuals began to speak to Jesus, it's like he's blown away by their faith. The centurion says, you don't even need to come into my house, but you speak the word and what you speak will happen. He's saying, I understand the authority structure that you are in, Jesus. And because you're submitted to heaven, what you say has the power of heaven. And when Jesus saw that faith, he said, I've not seen this kind of faith. No, not in all Israel. Great faith can operate outside of covenant. 
We see this principled in the Word of God. So do not be confused when people seemingly that are not covenant people that receive miracles because faith can operate even outside of covenant. The other situation is Syrophoenician woman. And very important for us to look at just a little bit closer. We find that this woman is a Gentile. And Jesus has gone on a couple of days sabbatical. He's gone clear to the Mediterranean coast to get some time away. He has told his disciples to be good armor bearers. I'm getting rest, so protect me. Don't let anybody come in. I'm needing some time. And when this woman shows up needing a miracle and a deliverance for her daughter, the disciples are saying, ah, it's wrong time. Jesus is resting. You can't get to him now. But she is so persistent that they say, well, we've done everything we can do. Let Jesus tell her no. And so they let her through the ranks. And when she gets to him and begins to declare the need she has for her daughter, Jesus seems to be very harsh. As he says, it's not meat to give bread that's meant for the children unto dogs. He's not calling her a dog. He's speaking about her uncovenant Gentile nation that she's a part of. The Bible says of the Gentiles, they are like dogs going back to their vomit. And I know that's crude, but let me give you a true picture of what's being said here. Because when the Gentiles sin and they seek pleasures of this world and heap upon them sin, the repercussions of that sin is evident by their vomit. You get the picture. But the Gentiles' habit is to go back to the vomit and start just lapping that up. Because just because we were destroying our family in sin, we go back to sin as Gentiles. Just because we destroyed health and we destroyed relationships, we go back to it anyways. That's the nature of the Gentiles. And so Jesus is saying to her, I've come to give bread, which in relationship here is speaking about miracles and healing that she's wanting for her daughter. I've come to give bread for the children of God, not to a dog-like nation that's unprepared. And she says, truth, Lord, but even the dogs get crumbs that fall from the master's table. And again, we see Jesus saying, wow, that's the kind of faith that even if you're not in covenant, I'll respond to because great faith operates outside of covenant. These are the only two that I find in the Gospels that operate outside of covenant. Jesus had a purpose and sent the disciples to those in covenant relationship. I want you to see in particular that when he talks about healings and miracles as bread, he represents himself as a father that brings daily bread to his children. So the father's gift to us of healings and miracles is a daily thing. He doesn't run out of the pantry and cannot give miracles today because he did yesterday. If need be, he can heal you today and he can heal you tomorrow and he can heal you the next day. God is not running out of supplies. So what is this seemingly discrepancy and difference between what we observe and what we know in the word of God to be true? 
that seemingly the miracles that we read about and see about and all principled throughout the Gospels are for the covenant children of God, his elect. But yet we experience and see in our world today most that receive it are guests. I was preaching in Pennsylvania, and I was doing one of them Sundays that I'd be in eastern Pennsylvania for the morning service and drive two hours to an afternoon service in central Pennsylvania and back to eastern Pennsylvania for the night service. And it was so close in timing because of the two-hour drive in between that we were going to have to maybe even go in the middle of an altar service. And so I began that first service, and as I began to minister, I noticed a couple that was sitting on my far left, and they were very demonstrative in their praise and their worship and tears flowing down their face, standing to their feet, hands clapped, hands lifted, and just the exuberance of their worship stirred the gift of God in me. And I began to speak to them prophetically that this is a life-changing moment for you. Healing has happened in both of your bodies this morning. Miracles began to happen. There was a great move of the Holy Ghost, and while altar service was still happening, pastor grabbed me, and he ran me out the side door and said, we've got to go to that two-hour drive and get to the next service. We're going to be running late. I thought that this two-hour drive was going to be a, a time of, you know, catching a little nap and getting my energy back. And I'm admitting to you today, I'm a pretty strong introvert. And what I mean by that is I get my energy from being away from people. The whole time I'm with people, even if it's in fellowship, I'm giving, I'm, I'm draining. And so I have to be with my wife or my close family to, to really get my energy back. So I'm hoping for a couple of hours where a nap and shut myself and meditate. But pastor, pastor was a strong extrovert. He got his energy from being around people. And miracles had just happened in his church service, and he was pumped, and he was wanting to talk about it and slamming his hand on the car and just going for it. And so I wasn't getting much sleep. As we got closer, I thought maybe I could close this eye that he couldn't see and leave this one open and get like a half nap, maybe half my brain. I don't know how that works, but half my brain <laughs> shut down a little bit. And finally, about 15 minutes from where we were headed, he said, hey, I'm just going to let you sleep a little bit. I'm thinking, well, God is good, right? So I took my little nap. He woke me up when we got into the parking lot, and we refreshed ourselves. And by the time we got into the auditorium, they were ready to bring me to the pulpit already. And I, I quickly gathered my notes and my thoughts and got behind the pulpit. And when I looked up, that couple that was in the first service had somehow driven faster than we had and was there in service. Now, a lot of people, if they receive healing and a prophetic word in the first service, they're not going to a second service. <laughs> but I watched them, and their worship was not diminished. Their faith was just as strong. They had to have been tired, but they were lifting their hands, standing to their feet, calling out to God, and it stirred the gift of God for a deeper move for that particular couple. And I began to speak to them of the desires of their heart, that God had healed them already, but now God was working on the desires of their heart, and things were spoken, and miracles began to happen in the service, and gifts of the Spirit were flowing. Altar service is happening. Pastor grabs me. We run out and two-hour drive to the last service. And when we got there, 
<clears throat> there they are again. And I was thinking, I don't know how they got here ahead of us because Pastor was, you know, pushing the limit a little bit. But somehow they got back there. They couldn't have stopped for food or drink because it wasn't time for that. Their worship just as demonstrative. Their praise full of, they had to have been tired, but they focused in and they gave themselves. When the altar service came, God gave me some very specific things for them. They had been unable to have babies, and I knew this only through the Holy Ghost. Medically, they could not. But in the first service, God had healed the both of them. In the second service, he had told them the desires of their heart would be fulfilled. And now I could prophesy through the Holy Ghost that in 10 months, they would hold what they could not have physically. Physically, God would give them that child. Ten months later, pastor called me up. He said, do you remember that couple? I said, never forget how they beat us back and forth within three services. He said, I'm at the hospital right now. Do you want to hear? And he must have pinched the little baby because that little boy began to cry a little bit. And I could hear the cries of that miracle. She did not even have the feminine parts to have a baby and God supernaturally did miracles and brought forth that child. As pastor and I are talking on the phone, he said, what I have often wondered since that service is this. He said, this couple we've only known for two weeks. Two weeks ago, we met them and taught them a Bible study. Last week, they prayed through the Holy Ghost. We baptized them both in Jesus' name. And then you came the second weekend that we had known them. And in a matter of two weeks, God was already giving them the desires of their heart and healing their bodies. He said, all of us have rejoiced. It's been great faith for our church. But he said, I've wondered about the faithful saints of God who came to the same revival services, worship, praise, and some of them went home Still sick, still needing deliverance, still needing a miracle. This is not an anomaly. This is what we see over and over again. I was preaching in my home state of Georgia, and it was another one of them Sundays where I'd be preaching that morning service and then a quick afternoon service and would have to leave maybe even the middle of the altar service. And as I gave an altar call, two ladies stood up on the right side, began to come forward. I perceived that one of them was a guest. And so I spoke to her as God began to reveal to me. And I said, ma'am, do you mind if I speak to you? She said, are you talking to me? Not like, are you talking to me? <laughs> But are you, you talking to me? And I, I said, yes. She'd never seen anything like this happen in church. And I said, I can see that there is a pain in your shoulder and upper chest area. And God wants to take that away and heal you today. And she was like surprised. Well, well yeah. I said, well, come on down to the front. And I'm behind the pulpit. Different ones are in the altar. And some of the church is still in the pew. And I began to speak to her that we would raise our hands toward her. I would reach out and touch her. When I spoke the name of Jesus, I instructed her that word of wisdom to take her hand and to throw it up in the air. And God would do a miracle for her. I was watching as I spoke the name of Jesus. And she was lifting her hand slowly. 
And when she got about here, she must have felt no pain because her eyes got kind of big. And then, then she threw it up in the air, started waving it around. And then she's dancing around and she's trying to talk to people and tell what God has done. And faith is in the place and healings are happening. Backsliders are receiving the Holy Ghost. And I've got to go to the second service. A few months later, I came back to the same church. At that time, we were sitting on the platform, and as I'm looking at the congregation just getting started in church, I see that same lady, and she leaves from where she's sitting and comes down to the stage, and she's doing this. Well, I'm thinking she must be a guest still because we don't do that. You know, There's a proper time for things like this to happen. So I you know, don't want to offend her, so I just politely go over to where she's at, and she says, do you remember me? I said, I think God healed you the last time we were here. And she said, what I didn't get the chance to tell you because you left so quickly is that I've been diagnosed with a blood clot. And the doctors were very concerned that it would let loose at any moment and go straight to my heart. I've been in miserable pain, unable to sleep, unable to even function. But she said, when you spoke the name of Jesus and I lifted my hands in the air, she said, the pain was gone and it has never come back. She said, I went back to the doctor and I said, I've been to a faith healing service. And he said, well, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And she said, you're about to because I'm healed. <laughs> they did the test again and he come back and he said, I don't know if I'm a believer, but whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing. No blood clots. So I'm rejoicing. We're standing right here at the stage and I'm rejoicing with her about the miracle that God has done. And I say to her, don't you love this church? Isn't this a great church? And she hangs her head and says, this is only the second time I've been here. And I... It sounded rude when I said it, and I didn't stop myself quick enough as I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> you were here just a few months ago, and God healed you of a life-threatening situation, and you've not been back to the Bethel where God gave you this experience. And she said, you know, I can't even explain where my mind has been, but I realize I need to spend time where God has been doing these things in my life. And I agreed with her, and I said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you have believed? And she said, well, my friend has been telling me about the Holy Ghost. So I taught her a two-minute Bible. We're still having worship service. I'm teaching her a two-minute Bible study right there at the stage. She lifts up her hands, and the church is cluing in on what's going on. And as we laid hands on her head, she sees the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking other tongues. She has only been in two apostolic Pentecostal style services. Two. The first one healed from a life-threatening situation. The second one receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. Two. That's powerful and we love it. But what about all the faithful saints of God, service after service, time after time, altar service after altar service, faithful in stewardship, faithful. What about all of the saints of God? I was in Malaysia, and Malaysia is a Muslim nation, and they will only allow us to come into Malaysia to have Christian celebration services. It is strictly against the rule to convert 
anyone from their religion, especially into Christianity. And when I tell things like this, I'm always very careful because now when you apply for visas to go overseas, they vet you. And they look at all the social media, YouTube, they, they look everywhere. And if they find you preaching anything contrary or telling a testimony contrary to uh, their laws, they won't let you in. They'll X you out and you'll never get in. So understand we were having a Christian celebration service. And there were maybe in Kuala Lumpur, the capital city, we was at a ballroom and maybe eight, nine or more nations were represented there all over Asia. There were Filipinos from the islands and, and Vietnam and there was Chinese and Indonesia, Singapore, and from, from all over in the area. And we realized that we needed to be able to reach at least seven or eight different languages. Now the business language of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur in particular, is English. So I could preach and probably half could understand. But instead of having seven translators beside me, you know a five-minute message becomes a 45-minute message when you do that. And so we decided we'd get everybody in groups in that auditorium according to their language. And so there was a group over here that spoke Tagalog, and, and then there was a group over here that was Mandarin, and a group, you, you name it. And there were some Iranian refugees that were there. And so seven, so the service is very distracting. I'm speaking, and then I'm taking a short pause as there's seven translators that are speaking loud enough so that 20, 30, or more people can hear in their language. And then for not a pause to be too long, I'm trying to come in while they're still speaking so that there can be translation. Some are taking 10 seconds to translate. Some are taking 30 seconds. It's just very confusing. So everyone that was in the service had to focus and really listen to the one that was speaking their language. I had to make the simplest message that I possibly could, make my sentences short, my thoughts short. I was preaching about faith in Jesus, and I spoke of Bartimaeus crying out, have mercy upon me. I, I made a simple statement that if you had a faith like Bartimaeus, you could receive a miracle if you would just cry out to Jesus. Simple statement. And we're about to move on to the next thing. And one of the Iranian refugees stands to his feet. He throws his hands up in the air, got his head tilted back, his eyes closed. And he starts shrilly yelling what we really understood later. We didn't really understand what he was saying at first. But he's calling on the name of Jesus like I had just said. His dialect so thick, his accent so strong. We didn't understand what he's saying, but he's calling, Jesus! Gee, and the distraction is so much louder than anything else that's happening, even the other translators, that everybody has stopped, and they're looking at this Iranian refugee. Now, everybody had noticed him. In a group of maybe 800, he stuck out because... He had three huge growths on his arm, and you could see all three of them in his short sleeve shirt. Softball-sized growth just on the inner, uh, upper side of his wrist. Another one just above his elbow and one on his bicep. His hung held, hand held out to the side because of these grotesque growths uh, on his body. 
His threadbare t-shirt actually extended from his abdomen. And although you couldn't see what was underneath it, it hung with irregularity and you knew that there was problems also in his abdomen. And now when he's the one standing up and calling the name of Jesus, there's compassion in the place as people have compassion for this man who has dealt with these growth and these tumors for perhaps much of his life. And 15, 20 seconds pass and, you know, we're trying as leaders of the service to decide what we should do and I'm about to have everybody raise their hands toward this young man. We're all going to pray in unison. We're going to do what we can. But as we are watching, him, the growths on that uplifted hand began to shrivel in front of our eyes. 800 people there watching it, and they began to, it was only a matter of 10, 12 seconds, and it was completely gone about that fast. All three of them, the only thing left was a scar on the inner side of his bicep, I believe, as a testimony to what God had done. He did not realize what had happened. He still cried out, Jesus, Jesus. The person beside him is trying to get his attention and let him know he's been healed. And he's like Bartimaeus, don't tell me to sit down and shut up. I'm calling out to Jesus. And finally, they get his attention, almost tackle him and begin to speak to him about the, his arm has been healed. And when he looks at his arm and sees the, the best way I can explain it, it must have looked like what it looked like at the gate, beautiful, when the lame man is healed. And he went leaping and shouting into the tent. He's jumping over pews and he's trying to tell everybody, look what has happened. Jesus has healed me. Nobody understands him. He's speaking his Iranian language, and he's frustrated. In the middle of his jumping and leaping, he finally looks down, and we don't know when it happened. But when he looked down, all of us looked down, and his T-shirt is now flat against his abdomen. When he realizes that, he actually takes his T-shirt off. I'm not recommending this in church, just in case you were wondering. If God does that for you, there's a restroom where you can check out your miracle and we will believe you 100%. Did I get an amen there? Oh, okay, all right. Got an amen on that one. And so he's starting to take his shirt off. We're trying to put his shirt on. And he's showing everybody what God has done. It is pandemonium and people's faith. Faith is contagious. And faith begins to move all across the place and miracles are happening, things are flowing and we finally began to flow the service and bring them down the front and the translators trying to talk to us and through them back and forth and find out. I said, sir, do you have family here today? He turned and began to call people that I'm assuming, maybe we lost something in the translation of family, but he brought like seven people down that all were maybe his age. And I'm thinking, what do you got, seven cousins here? Seven, seven, I don't know what this is. But because of his faith, I gave them a quick Bible study. One by one, every one of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in other tongues. <laughs> after service, after service, they began to tell us his story. And this is what he said. He said that he had never been in an apostolic Pentecostal service. In fact, he had never been in a Christian service. He testified he had never heard of Jesus until I had preached it just moments before he called out to him. Powerful miracle. 
And we all rejoice and love it. But what about the faithful saints of God? This is what we see over and over. Last story. I was preaching in the Midwest, and as I was giving an altar call, God showed me some things prophetically for a man on the back. I said, sir, is that your wife with you? Yes. Is that your family? Come down to the front. Your family is at a moment of destiny, and they will never be the same again. He brought his wife down, his daughter. I think she might have been 10 years of age. And they're standing there in the front, and I feel the prophetic moving upon me, but just a hesitancy. And as it's silent and we're hesitating, he has a phone that's attached to his belt or perhaps his pocket, and it vibrates. Now, everybody knows this man and knows that when he comes to church, it's his habit to turn his phone completely off. That's his habit. But this one time, for whatever reason, he just turned it to silent or vibrate. And now when he looks down, he looks at me quickly and says, Man of God, this is my son from a former marriage. You said, my family is at a moment of destiny. This is family. Can I include him? I said, very strict instructions. You answer the phone. And before he can talk, you tell him, I'm in the altar. The prophetic is upon my family. And I want to include you in what's happening. He did exactly that. I said, lay the phone right here. It was a flip phone he had. He laid it right there on the pulpit. God took my direction away from those that were standing there to that young man on the other side of the phone. And I began to prophesy. The phone is there. I'm here and I'm prophesying. Sir, you have given up hope. Spirit of suicide is upon you. You are desperate. You are anguished. You are broken. But right now, if you will lift your hands up, you're going to feel the love of God like you have never felt it before. And God's going to feel you the gift of the Holy Ghost. The church is up and they're ready with their faith. They're praying. They're speaking in tongues. Father's dropped on his knees. He's praying the Spirit. And we pray boldly. When I pick up the phone, all I hear on the other line is a young man's voice speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Powerful things are happening in the service. I hand the phone back to the father. He, he's just going to go to the back of the church and say, son, after church, I'll call you right back. And the son says, wait a minute, dad, you have to know what's going on. He said, I was not intending to talk to you tonight because I know that you always cut your phone off at church. I was calling to talk to your voicemail. And I was going to simply say, forgive me, I'm sorry. I love you, Dad. And then I was going to jump in front of the next truck that came down this way and take my life. He said, Dad, how did God know where to find me? Understand, this young man is not repentant. He's not a guest in the church. He has no faith. He has no hope. All he has is a connection to a father that has faith and hope and knows how to pray. We rejoice in the reach of God to the uttermost. But again, what about all those that are in the church service and many of them go home still needing the understanding of that is in this text. 
So get the picture. Jesus gives the parable of the woman who needs a favorable judgment from a man who doesn't care about man's laws or God's law, doesn't fear either. And then he tells this story that you have a heavenly father that when his elect goes through things, he is right there with them, never leaves them, never forsakes them. He's with them, bearing long with them. So that's us. And we cry in the nighttime when nobody else is around. God, how long until I get my miracle? And he doesn't give the miracle yet. God, how long should I suffer before my healing? And we don't get the healing yet. And in the daytime and in the church services, we join with other people and we cry out to him, when, God, do you see my need? I want to cry out like Bartimaeus. I want to shout out like the miracles we've heard. And still he doesn't do a miracle. He's with us. And then the shift comes. So what's happening here? Once you have become born again into the kingdom. It is the purpose of heaven for us not to stay babies, but for all of us to mature. Christ is coming back for a bride, not a baby, a bride that has made herself ready with proper spotless garments. And so the process of preparing us to be his bride is what he does for us. And we, we feel the pulling of the Holy Ghost and we pray the prayers to be like Jesus. Help me, God, to get my character where it needs to be. I need to overcome in this area. I need to have a different paradigm in this. And we're praying the prayers so the goodness of God builds character in us through tribulation. It's what worketh patience, faith, character within us and we so short-sighted in our prayers want to be like Jesus but when we get in the middle of the trouble it's like we forget all about that and we just want delivered and he's like the father with a wet towel on a fevered brow encouraging you can make it you'll get through it you're going to do good there's blessing. And he doesn't heal us yet because the value of that sickness or that journey is greater than the value of just a quick healing. When we're babies, we cry and he comes. But when we begin to mature and grow, now he wants us to learn and to mature and to grow in character. We pray the prayer, use me, God. And nothing in the kingdom of God is free. We speak about the freedom of salvation, that salvation is free. To the individual, it's not even free. The price that he paid was absolutely not free. But the price of your salvation is all of you. All of your past, all of your present, all of your future. Ministry, cost. If you want to operate in giftings and healings and miracles, 
If you want a gifting of pastor or apostle or prophet, teacher, evangelist, it costs. It costs you individually and it costs others around you. I would submit for your reasoning that the young man named Saul is holding the coats of those that are stoning Stephen. And because Stephen is paying a price, even of his own life, and at the end of his life declares, let not this sin be upon them, then Saul will become Paul and evangelize the known world of his days because of an anointing that was paid for perhaps by Stephen. And of course, shipwrecked night and day in the deep, thrice stoned, the price that he paid Paul as well as even others before. Every ministry, every anointing, it takes a cost. And so when we pray, use us, God. We've got to save our generation. There's got to be healing operating our church services. God immediately puts us through pain and suffering and tribulation because this is the working of that ministry within us. So quickly, we often forget and we say, hey, deliver us, heal us, take us out of this. And in his mercy, he doesn't. He's with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, but he withholds his healing. But the good news is this. Every journey has a beginning and it has an ending. And every cup of sorrow that you would have to drink has a volume. It's not a bottomless cup. It has a volume. And once you have drank the last dregs of that volume, it's over. The journey has come to pass. The volume has been drunk. And when that time comes, our Heavenly Father doesn't want you to spend one second in pain that you don't have to. And so he comes speedily. This is the difference in verse 8. He's coming speedily because you passed the journey. Now the ministry's upon you. The Christian character's in your life. And he comes speedily to avenge his elect. But here's the last question. And this is my closing this last verse, we have traditionally asked this question about this verse. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? And this is what we've said. Well, when the return of Christ comes and rapture takes place, will there be anybody faithful on this sinful world? Well, of course there will be. There will always be a church triumphant and a remnant for Christ. But in context, that's not what this is saying. Because in context, what he's saying is, when you've passed the journey, and now there's maturity or Christian character, and you paid the price, and now there's healings and miracles that can operate in you and for you and through you, he's going to come very speedily to do a miracle. But when he gets there, what's the faith that you're operating in? Now, most of us move to a Job-like faith. And faith is multidimensional. Most of us will say this. I've been prayed for before until my head smells like an olive tree. I've, you know, I've, I've done this and no merit. So we move into a mode like Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust, love, believe, have faith. 
and that's a powerful faith. But in context of what has been told in this story of this widow, Jesus is saying this, that when you've passed a journey and it's time for you to receive your healing, that he comes quickly to heal you. But if you have a faith that is no longer showing up at the courtroom and saying, Lord, I'm here for my miracle. If you have moved into a process of thought that I'm always going to be this way, I'll always deal with this, others get miracles, but I never do, that when he comes to do miracles, you're in a different mode of faith. Growing up in Sunday school, I'm telling you the truth, this bothered me even as a kid. Because when I heard this story preached, it seemed to me like God was wanting us to nag him. Ah, I need my miracle. Where's my miracle? I want my miracle. I want my miracle. Is that what God wants? Of course not. He's not wanting you to just nag him. But when the time comes and God sends his servant on it, Wednesday night and says there's healing in the place today. Miracles are here in the place. Are you just going to throw it off and say, well, or is there somebody here that will just show up again and say, I know you're a good, good father. If you got a healing for me, I'm going to reach out. I'll do Bartimaeus. I'll do whatever I need to do because I want you to know I'm here for a miracle again. If it's my time, I'm here to receive a miracle of healing. Would you stand with me? Just real soft background music only. I want to minister in the Holy Ghost. And pastor has given me liberty. And I will tell you that if any time Pastor V becomes uncomfortable with what's happening, I'm begging him to take the microphone and change the order of the service. So I want you to know that I'm completely submitted to Pastor. I will only treat you the way that God treats me. He doesn't try to intimidate me or use fear tactics or try to prove that he's a God or has giftings. He, he always moves with compassion. I prayed for you before I ever saw your faces. And when I saw you, I'd be moved with compassion. And that I could minister in such a way that you would receive it. It's what I want you to know that I've learned what stirs the gift of God in me. And that's my worship. Gifts in the callings of God are without repentance. And some people have the erroneous idea, at least in my opinion, that sometimes gifts happen and sometimes they don't. I'm of the opinion of what Paul told Timothy, is that the gifts are in you. Stir the gift, Timothy. So when you know what stirs that gift, go to that place and stir it. Get your spoon, let's go. For me, what stirs the gifts of God is my worship. And when I shut everything else out and worship my God, the gifts of God began to flow in me. I've learned through the years that in an atmosphere like this, your worship 
gives me liberty to minister to you. When you're vulnerable in worship, then you're open in the spirit. And it's easy to know things as the gift of God began to operate. Some of you already come in. Let's just do that. When you come down, don't, don't give yourself to prayer yet. But just come down and stand in the altar, if you will, and worship. Don't worship loudly, but worship softly. And begin to reach out to God and talk to Him. Let there be a stirring of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want you to bring your volume down. I work with you like this. Bring your volume down because when I'm speaking to individuals, I don't want there to be the confusion. Paul said that when the gifts of the Spirit operate, there shouldn't be confusion. Don't mind if you look around seeing who's being spoken to, who's being blessed, as long as you don't make it some entertainment thing. That's the way of the Gentiles. Just let your worship continue to God for what he's doing in the house. So bring your volume down. I'm speaking. What's your name, daughter? Tori. I see a generational anointing upon you, Tori. Somebody in the generation before has dug out a walk with God. That generational anointing is upon you. But there's yet a dimension. You've not fully given yourself. There's yet a dimension because there's things that are like attaching and pulling at you from this world that are getting your time. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about things that wanted you to pursue your attention and pursue your commitment. But God is pressing upon you that if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's going to add all these things to you, Tori. That generational anointing is pressing. It's time for you to make a greater commitment see what God will do in your life. What's your name here in the black and white? Ashley, step a little closer. I see your weariness in your spirit, Ashley, because you have prayed a long time. I also see a lot of friction. I feel like this is in relationship. A lot of friction, even rejection that you're facing. And the Holy Ghost wants to take your dimension of peace in the midst of what you're dealing with. If you have faith to just reach out one more time, speak one more time, I believe a peace that passes all understanding is going to settle upon you in this place. And it's going to be a testimony to the, to the friction that is happening right now in relationships around you. <laughs> we okay, Pastor? We still okay? In Jesus' name. I see a need upon your life. What's your first name? Vicki. I see a few things, but I, I'm speaking about a physical situation. How many times have you been prayed for for this situation? Twice. Does anybody believe for a sister? Just lift both them hands, my sister. Father, we're here at the courtroom again. <laughs> Father, get good gifts to your children right now. I speak healing virtue, even to an extent that she's not told many people. She has hid some of the symptoms from people. God, you know, do that miracle right now in her life by the power. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. 
Jesus' name. Would you worship again? I'm not going to carry this out long. Just a couple more minutes. You got the Hey Girl shirt on. Hey girl, come on up here. I need a lady that you trust. Is there a lady here that you trust? your first name Sister Tanya I'm, I'm going to speak some things that's going to make you very vulnerable okay but I can see some abuse that's happened in your past and how cycles of that have just been in every relationship until you're not even sure that you're loved God is going to prove himself to you what you need to do is not ignore some things of the past but go there and take nail-scarred hands with you and let him see everything because that's where the healing if it doesn't heal in the past it's not going to heal the present and the future would you just lift up a hand right there darling God we feel your love so strong that we trust you to give you all of the past all of the past all of the present I need to get out of the microphone. Whatever you have quit praying for, reach out one more time. You need that ministry confirmation, reach out one more time. You need that healing in your body. You need that financial loosing. <laughs> Sis, I feel this for you. Touch her and let her know. I feel stress that has been upon you and your finance. I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to make a breakthrough for you and the stress will be loosed. Whatever you have been prayed for, whatever you have reached out for, whatever promise, reach out one more time. Someone get a sister beside a sister, a brother beside a brother, and let's work with each other to come to the court. Just confess it one more time. God, if you're here for my healing, I'm here again. I'm here again for a miracle. I'm here again for deliverance. I'm here again for salvation. I'm here again. Now, if you're an intercessor, lift your voice. I'm going to pray on the altar for just a little while. Turn this over to pastor. Yay. You know how to intercede. Lift your voice in intercession. That's it. Pray for that person beside you. Ministry, you're loosed under the authority of pastor. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it, just a couple of more minutes. There you go. Let him come suddenly and heal you. Let him come suddenly and bless you.
singing this chorus, why don't you reach over and pray with somebody close to you before we close. Just ask the blessings of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. Bless your brothers and sisters, the hand of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God. Set our hearts Oh, we need each other so bad. That's right, pray, pray the blessing of the Lord on Brother Green for coming and obeying the Holy Ghost. How many is looking forward to Brother Green coming back? Amen. Amen. 
Friday night at 6 o'clock. If you'd like to come to the gymnasium, we're going to have a time of fellowship. That's Friday night, 6 o'clock. And uh, you're welcome to come, spend some time. Uh, we, we look forward to Sunday. going to be a great, great day. I feel like the Lord's given me a word for our church for Sunday morning. We're looking forward to Brother Smith being with us Sunday night. My friend, good to see you tonight. Amen. I love Brother Steve Smith. He is a he has been a blessing to me, and I'm looking forward to him preaching here Sunday night. Amen. It's going to be a great time in the Holy Ghost. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're being dismissed in Jesus' name. Don't forget to go back to the information table, the information booth, and uh, purchase some of the materials that Brother, Brother Green has brought tonight. Awesome word. Excellent.